Hello everyone, my name is Haley Elizabeth and welcome to my podcast, Behind You. If you guys have never heard of my podcast, Behind You, this is my true crime podcast where I come on here once a week talking about all things true crime from murders, disappearances, cults, all the way to the biggest drug bust in history, the biggest bank heist in history, all things true crime essentially. So if you're into any of that, you can subscribe and if not totally chill like we are just here to have a conversation about certain cases no pressure and today we will be discussing the case of samantha Magin. i actually came across this case after scrolling through some true crime documentaries and i was so surprised that i hadn't seen anyone cover this case there's a lot to get through so let's just hop right into it samantha jane Magin was born on april 24th 1989 in welson England. Wellson, for those who aren't familiar, is on the outskirts of Newcastle. Her family consisted of her mother, Allison, her father, Stan, her younger sister, Carly, and her older brother, Lee. As a child, Samantha, a lot of people just called her Sam, she was super bubbly as a child. She loved to just be around all of her family and friends. She loved to go outside. She loved to play. And as far as the neighborhood itself, uh, the sister Carly was talking about their childhood hometown and was talking about how during this time, Wellsend wasn't really a bad neighborhood. She recalls when she was younger being able to walk around the streets and not really feel scared scared or anything like it was a good town to live in no violence or anything ever really went on it was also such a close-knit community where everybody knew everybody and all of their family and friends sort of lived close to each other like none of their extended family lived super far away as i was saying earlier samantha was very very well liked by everyone and that followed her into high school as well samantha was very very well liked in high school she had tons of friends And her sister Carly actually recalls that when she went into high school, they saw her last name Magin and all the teachers already knew that she was the sister of Samantha. Even when her sister Carly was entering into high school, Samantha already had a reputation for being very well liked by everyone. Samantha was the type of person that wouldn't pick fights with anyone. Samantha didn't have any enemies. She was just friends with everyone. Her friends also described her to be very very loyal. She was the type of person that was always there for you every time you needed it. She would literally give you the clothes off of her back if you needed it. If one of her friends were sad, she would do everything that she could to make them happy or just to feel better. Like she would give them gifts. She would tell them jokes just to make them laugh. She just had positive energy all the way around and that's why she was so well liked is because she just made sure that everyone around her was very happy and people were genuinely very happy to be around Samantha. August of 2006, after graduating high school at 18 years old, that's when Samantha found out that she was pregnant. It never specifically said this in the articles and documentaries that I was watching, but it is assumed that the father of this child is not in the child's life and wasn't in the child's life since the very beginning because Samantha, when she found out that she was pregnant, her being a teen mom, and also being so young, you know, 18 years old, that's really when your life starts to begin because that's when you enter college and you have all these adult decisions to make. And so 
For her to be starting this next chapter of her life at such a young age, it scared Samantha just like how it would any other 18-year-old girl. But as she started to tell all of her family and friends, the more she started to get really excited about it, Samantha fell into a very lucky situation to where if she were to have a kid, she would have the support and love of her family and friends around her. And I wanted to quickly touch upon that because I know Notice that like a lot of TikToks, the uprise of the show Gilmore Girls, where it kind of glamorizes uh, being a teen mom. As you can see in Samantha's situation, she fell into a very lucky situation, but being a teen mom is not the same for every single person. There's women that get kicked out of their houses for being teen moms. There's women who suffer greatly financially trying to support a child, but also trying to somewhat manage a savings account to save up money and move out of their parents' home. So I don't want people to just see the lucky situations of being a teen mom and think that it's it's just that easy or that it works out perfectly for everyone. For Samantha's situation, she had the love and support of her family and friends to take care of her, that she had a place to live, she had food to eat. She just came from a very loving family and a lot of her friends, as I said, loved Samantha. So with that love and support, she was able to raise this child. Samantha went from very scared to being a teen mom to very, very excited. She literally talked about her baby anytime that she got. She was very, very excited to have her baby. She would show off her sonograms to all of her family and friends and put them on the fridge. She was talking to her family and friends about the baby. She would let anyone touch her stomach when the baby kicked. She was just genuinely so, so excited to be a mother because being a mother is something that she always really wanted to be. And so this was a very, very exciting moment for her. She was just such an amazing person to be around. She saw the good in everything. A lot of her friends said that during this time, Samantha was very excited about being pregnant. Like she loved being pregnant. And just that right there, like tells you the type of person that Samantha is because ask anyone, no one likes being pregnant. <laughs> like no one likes the morning sickness, the mood swings, the weight gain, like nobody enjoys the process. But Samantha, on the other hand, she loved it. Like she loved being pregnant. She loved having a baby. So again, that just shows you how Samantha saw the positive in everything. Literally no one likes being pregnant, but Samantha, she, she enjoyed it. She loved it. And as for the mother during this time, although the mother was very, very, supportive. Uh, the mother did say in an interview once that ever since Samantha got pregnant, she just had this really eerie feeling that something was going to happen. She didn't know what it was. She just had this very deep pit in her stomach that something bad was going to happen. When Samantha went into labor with Calum, she was convinced that, you know, something was going to happen to Samantha. She was going to pass away while giving birth. The baby wasn't going to be okay. She just had this deep pitted feeling that something was going to happen. But the pregnancy, the birth went perfectly fine. The baby was healthy. Samantha was healthy. And then that is when in May of 2007, Samantha gave birth to her son, 
Calum. But even after Samantha had her baby, the mother just could not shake this really eerie feeling that something was going to happen and she just couldn't specifically point out what it was. So then on August 2nd of 2007, three months after having Calum, she deserved a night out. You know, she had been raising this newborn for three months. Raising a child in general is hard. Doesn't matter what age you are. Having a newborn is so hard. Also, you know, provide financially, emotionally, and physically to the baby. It's just, it's a lot. It's exhausting. And she had been doing this for three months straight. Again, she loved being a mother. She loved having her friends and family come over and see her baby she loved playing with her baby like how incredible this girl was like she just saw the positive in everything she was just having a good time all the time even in parts of life where people would be exhausted or drained like she still you know was so positive and enjoyed every aspect of life so on this particular day of august 2nd that is when her family told samantha you know you deserve a night out you deserve deserve to go out with your friends and not take care of Caleb for a day. And so Samantha was very nervous at first because this was the longest she had ever stayed away from Caleb. She didn't know how he was going to react to not having her all day long, but she was like, okay, you know, I'll do that. I will. So she went out that morning and her and her friends went out to Tynemouth Park for the beach and her friends and her just hung out all day at the beach. They were tanning. They were swimming and then into the early evening that's when her friends drove her back to her house just to check up on Caleb and make sure that he was okay just check on things see how they were going and her sister Carly said that when Samantha had came home. Caleb was crying in Carly's arms, but the reason why he was crying is because he was hungry. It wasn't because he was like hurt or anything. So Samantha walking into the house and seeing that Caleb was crying, she was like, oh my God, I'm staying home. Like I, I don't, I feel bad. Like I don't want you to be taking care of him if he's crying. And Carly was like, no, 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 we got this. And then Carly told her sister, go back out, have fun. And Samantha said, all right, I'll see you later tonight and she left and that was unfortunately the last time Carly saw Samantha. So Samantha went back out with her friends and her and her friends decided to walk over to a friend named James's house. Now James was actually friends with Samantha's older brother Lee. That's how they knew each other. So Samantha and her friends walked over to James's house and from James's point of view he says that between the hours of 9th 30 and 10 p.m. He heard a knock at his door and when he opened it up, it was Samantha and her friends. Samantha and her friends asked James if he wanted to come out and hang out for the night, but James declined. He said that he just got back from work and he's tired, so he just wants to go to bed. Samantha and her friends understood, so they just left and James went back in his house to get ready for bed. So Samantha and her friends were walking home from James's house and on their way, there, there was a group of four people that walked past Samantha's group and one of Samantha's friends made a comment to the four people that were walking past like, oh, look at the way he walks or something like that. Just, you know, like 
a side comment to her friend. She didn't even think that the group really heard them. The group of four people just walked right past and went into a nearby apartment. So they start walking for a little while longer and as they're walking, that is when two men come out of an alleyway, both armed with knives and jump at Samantha and her group of friends trying to stab them. And so they're trying to run away, but they're also trying to defend themselves. So Samantha and her friends are on one side of this parked car and the two armed men are on the other side of this parked car and they're just like running around this parked car. While all of this is happening, Samantha is trying to break up the fight. She's yelling things like, guys, stop. Who are you? What do you want? So she's doing the right thing and she's trying to break up the fight. She's trying to calm everyone down and hopefully, you know, like we can figure out what's going on going on and so as Samantha is trying to break up the fight and calm everyone down that is when 15 year old Jordan Jobson emerges from one of the nearby apartments and she is armed with a serrated butter knife and she walks up to Samantha and stabs her 43 times everyone is freaking out at this point so the two men that were armed from before they run away as well as Jordan. Jordan also runs away and follows them. One of Samantha's friends she runs home to go get help as well as the other friend he runs down the street to James's house and asks James for help. James says that in the middle of the night he heard a pounding at his door and when he opened it up he saw Samantha's friend from earlier but now now his shirt was covered in blood and his friend was telling James you've got to come quick Sam's been stabbed call an ambulance James he had just been woken up and he said that he literally ran out of the house with no shoes just in his boxers and he ran straight to where he said that Samantha was and he finds Samantha in an alleyway immediately they call an ambulance and the ambulance shows up and they're trying to revive Samantha trying to get a pulse of some kind and James said that in this moment he actually saw Samantha breathe for a second and his heart dropped when he saw that because he thought that you know oh my god they they brought her back like she's alive again um, but unfortunately they were not able to revive her and that was in fact just her last breath. The paramedics said that they were unable to revive Samantha because of how much blood she had lost. 43 stab wounds, that's 43 exits that you are just bleeding out from. And so since there was just so much, they were unable to help her. So they still take Samantha to the hospital in hopes of saving her. And all while this is going on, Samantha's family at her house has no clue what's going on. Back at Samantha's house uh the mom had just gotten back from work so when she walks in the door she finds lee samantha's older brother frantically and quickly putting on his shoes and so as i said uh james was friends with lee so the mom walks in and she's like what's going on why are you you know frantically putting on your shoes and lee yells to the mom and says hold that cab because she had came home from work on a cab he was like hold that taxi 
taxi. Hold that taxi. We need to go to the hospital because Sam's been stabbed and they have her at the hospital right now. And so the mother and Lee go into the taxi and rush straight to the hospital. So five hours go by. All of the family and friends are at the hospital at this point because everyone is just waiting around hoping that Sam is still alive, that they were able to help her. But unfortunately, after five hours of trying, they were unable to revive her and she was pronounced dead. So since this was a murder, essentially, the family was unable to touch Samantha because her body needed to be examined for an autopsy. So the family's last goodbye to Samantha was through a glass wall that they could see Samantha in, but they couldn't touch her. And the mom says that in this moment when she saw Samantha, she just kept on hitting the glass and crying and saying, Sam, wake up, wake up. It was just such an overwhelming situation for everyone because it happened so quickly and it was done so randomly too. As I said, Sam did not have any enemies. There was not a person that didn't like Samantha. I mean, there aren't really words that could explain what they were going through. It just made it even worse that they couldn't hold her hand or kiss her and say goodbye. They just had to say goodbye through a glass window. After the family and friends had said their goodbyes, there was an autopsy that was done and the autopsy showed that she suffered 43 separate injuries. A whole knife blade stabbed straight through her 10 times, so the blade had gone from the front of her body to the back of her body 10 times, once to the face, four to the left arm, two to the right arm, and three to the chest. Uh, One of the wounds that hit her chest hit a major artery to her heart, and this is the stab wound that eventually killed her. She also lost some of her fingers during the attack. So, criminologists, I think that's how you pronounce it, criminologists, they have described this killing as what's called an overkill. So, an overkill is basically a stabbing or killing that happens where the murderer uh, performs more blows than needed to kill the person. An example of this, if you guys have ever heard of the Lizzie Borden axe murder case where Lizzie Borden had stabbed her stepmother and her father a lot more times than she needed to. She could have just done one blow to the head, but instead she kept going. But usually in these situations of overkilling, it's a very passionate crime. There's a reason why this person is doing it with how vicious and violent it is. Usually in these cases, it's because the person didn't like that person or they had some sort of grudge and anger against that person to where they wanted to see this person in pain. But as for Samantha, she again had no enemies. There wasn't anyone that didn't like Samantha. There wasn't anyone that had a grudge against Samantha. And the police later knew this because they were asking around to her family and friends trying to figure out who could have done this. And all of them said, we 
don't know. There's no one that doesn't like Samantha. And so it made it, you know, very hard for the police to find this killer because why a stranger could commit such a passionate crime like this. Although the police at this point didn't know who the killer was, I told you the killer earlier. She was 15-year-old Jordan Jobson. So a little bit of backstory about Jordan Jobson and I'm going to explain who she is because it's going to make sense a lot more later when I tell you how the police found out it was her. She was born in 1992 in Walker, England. Uh, Walker, England at the time there were bad parts of Walker and there was also okay parts of Walker and Jordan lived in the more okay parts of Walker. She didn't really have a big criminal or violent record but in her early teens she did dabble in drugs and alcohol. She just essentially fell in with the wrong crowd and she even got expelled from her high school due to her cocaine addiction. She skipped so much school just to fulfill her addictions and because of this it got her expelled and how she was getting all these drugs and alcohol was through her 18 year old boyfriend named Terrence Davidson. Terrence Davidson would give Jordan all of the drugs and alcohol that she wanted. He himself was also a substance abuser so he kind of just fueled Jordan's lifestyle like he fueled his own lifestyle. And I also want to point out that Jordan was 15 and Terrence was 18. There was only a two-year difference between the two and I wanted to point that out because I know that some of you guys do your own research on these cases. A lot of the articles and documentaries that I was watching when researching this case always labeled Terrence as an older boyfriend, but they point it in a way that makes it sound like Terrence was in his 20s or something. And then I found an article of um, like Terrence's criminal record and that's when I found out that he was only 18. He wasn't as old as people made him sound. So the very next day after the murder of Samantha, the police are trying to figure out who this person could possibly be. So they published this story on the news and they're trying to get more people to call in. They're trying to receive more tips and that is when the police get a very helpful tip from Terrence's sister's boyfriend. So Terrence's sister lived with her boyfriend and her boyfriend had called the police that day and said that last night two of his girlfriend's friends came to their place last night and they were all bloodied up but Terrence's sister just assumed that they got into a street fight or a pub fight. So she just let them in and let them get cleaned up. She didn't know the extent of what they did. She just assumed that they got into a fight. And so the boyfriend thought this same thing as well until the next day when he was watching the news and he saw about the stabbing that happened to Samantha not too far from his house. He put the two and two together and realized that these two men probably committed this stabbing so he called the police immediately 
immediately. So he gave the names of the two men that came to the house that night, and one of those men was Terrence. So then on August 6th of 2007, that is when they were able to track down the two men and arrest them. The next day on August 7th, Jordan Jobson walks into the police station with her mother, and when they first walk into the police station, Jordan is very shy. She doesn't really, you know, want to talk to anyone, but Jordan's mother is like, go ahead, tell the police what you did, and that is when Jordan confesses that she is indeed the one that stabbed Samantha. As she was explaining her story, though, she said that she had killed Samantha, but she didn't murder her, which I thought was pretty odd because because isn't that sort of the same thing? She also explains in her story to the police that she does not really remember what happened because that night she had drank three pints of vodka as well as doing eight lines of cocaine. A lot of criminologists on this case, they said that for a girl of her size and age, if she were to take a lot of alcohol and cocaine and she was for some reason not able to black out from this, she would grow very, very paranoid. She would think that someone is out to get her. So then after Jordan explains her story and confesses to the murder, that same exact day, Jordan was arrested. And then the very next day on August 8th of 2007, the police went back to the crime scene and they looked in the drains on the street and that is when they came across the serrated butter knife that Jordan said she used on Samantha. On February 19th of 2008, that is when Jordan's trial began. Samantha's friends and family were present at this trial and Samantha's family said that when they went to go meet Jordan for the very first time, they were very surprised at what Jordan looked like. They just weren't expecting her to look like a normal 15-year-old girl because for as violent of a crime as this, you would think that maybe it was an older, bigger person, more muscular and overpowering but in this case, it was just a 15-year-old girl looked like someone you would go to school with, and so they were very, very shocked to see what Jordan looked like, but at the same time, they said that whenever they looked at Jordan, they just saw nothing in her eyes, and even throughout this whole case, she really showed no remorse for what she did, and she kept on speaking about the night as if she had just harmed someone instead of actually killing someone someone. Also said that Jordan throughout this trial was definitely spoiled. She was very well pampered. Every time she went to her trial, she always had clean clothes. Her hair was always brushed. She always had two social workers with her at all times. She was just very spoiled during this whole trial, which was very odd, even to the family as well. They thought that that was super unfair, that she is a criminal, but yet she's not being treated like one. So how Jordan explains how the night actually went down. Jordan says that that night, Sam and her friends were walking home from James's house, and Sam and her friends noticed two men in a phone booth, and something was said to the two men, but these two men were very high on drugs. They were super paranoid, and it wasn't said what exactly the friends said to them. It probably wasn't anything like super bad, but for some reason, these men just felt so 
threatened by this, so that's when they went into a nearby apartment, grabbed two knives, and came back out. Then that is when the two men appeared from the alleyway and jumped at Sam and her friends and attempted to fight them. The two men were chasing the girls around a parked car with these knives, and the whole time Samantha kept on yelling things like, stop it, calm down, and she tried to break it up, and as she was trying to break up this fight, that's when Jordan came out from the apartment with a serrated kitchen knife and attacked Samantha. Jordan again says she doesn't remember the attack in detail because she drank three pints of vodka and eight lines of cocaine, but this intake was never proved. The court in defense to Samantha, they kept on questioning the legitimacy of what Jordan was saying. They started to question that Jordan, for her petite build and her only being 15 years old, if she were to take eight lines of cocaine and three pints of alcohol, the symptoms of this would include vomiting, increased heart rate, and even blackout in general because cocaine is an upper while alcohol is a downer. And combining drugs and alcohol is already a terrible mix and so with her doing eight lines of cocaine and three pints of vodka that could kill you essentially that could literally kill you or make you black out so the fact that she not only didn't die didn't black out but she had enough energy to stab someone 43 times and the court also found it really odd that she wouldn't remember her murdering Samantha but she would remember her taking exactly three pints of vodka and exactly eight lines of cocaine. Usually you would remember the main ideas of the night not small details like that and also oversharing is a sign of lying. She claimed at one point that Samantha was holding a vodka bottle and that she felt very threatened by this and so since she felt threatened she needed to defend herself and that's when she started stabbing Samantha but she accidentally killed her. Now again this made no sense to the court because they said if you were acting out of self-defense how come all of these injuries were found on Samantha yet you were left completely fine. You left with no broken bones, no stab wounds, no scratch wounds, nothing. You left completely fine, yet Samantha is now dead. So it seemed like whatever Jordan was trying to do, no matter how much he preached innocence, it just wasn't working because the facts were very clear of what Jordan did. On March 3rd of 2008, it took the jury only 90 minutes to find Jordan guilty of Sam's murder, and she was sentenced to life in prison with a minimum of 15 years. Terrence, as well as the other man associated in the situation, were also given sentences, as well as Terrence's sister. She was charged as well with assisting the offenders because technically she had let Terrence and his friend come into her house and clean off all of this evidence. That I was very surprised that she was charged at all unless she actually knew what was going on and she didn't tell anyone because if she was just clueless of the situation, I don't think 
she should have been charged, but at the same time, I feel like it's also her fault for not asking what happened. But who knows, even if she asked what happened, I don't think they would have told her the truth. So, I don't know. I was very surprised to see that she was charged with assisting the offenders. After Jordan was given her sentence, her sister Carly spoke out and said that, you know, just because Jordan is locked up, it doesn't really change anything. It's just nice to know that, you know, justice has been served and she won't hurt anyone else. Carly actually said in an interview one time and she said, quote, although someone is in prison for her murder, it doesn't change anything for us. Didn't change the way we felt. Didn't stop us from grieving. We're also on a life sentence, really. And we've still got to live every day without Samantha. So as far as the aftermath of all of this, Jordan had tried to reduce her sentence twice but was denied both times. But her third try, she was able to reduce her sentence by four years and was supposed to be released in 2019. A lot of Jordan's inmates would say things like she was transferred from an open prison to a closed prison after threatening a lot of the other inmates. Uh, Inmates also described her as cocky and every time she would talk about her crime she would call it quote just a mistake. Terrence and the other guy served their sentences but Terrence was arrested again back in 2009 for possession of a shotgun and cannabis but the amount of time he got for those things is unknown. As far as the family now, Calum at this point is 15 years old and he's being raised by his grandmother, uh, Samantha's mother. Allison as well as his family and Samantha's mother Allison always says that that she never lets Calum forget about Samantha. She's always telling him what a beautiful soul she was and how she would have been a great mother and so even though she's not here the mother tries her best to allow her legacy never to die and that's exactly what they did. They actually started a nonprofit organization called Samantha. Samantha's legacy where essentially they help victims of violent crimes and oh my god I forgot my phone hold on a minute so a quote from Samantha's legacy they say violence knives and murder are not the average classroom subjects but Samantha's legacy aims to give the young people a chance to hear firsthand the devastation one family can experience in the hands of a knife crime it essentially allows the family to do something good in Samantha's name and it makes them feel like Samantha is still here and that she is creating so much change in the world. They also, within their organization, Samantha's Legacy, do a lot of charity work to help other families feel less alone and ensure that Sam's story is still being heard and told. And I think what they're doing is really incredible. I'll leave in the description. They have a Facebook page and I believe they also have an Instagram and if they do, I will leave both of those linked down below so you guys can check them out, donate, support, whatever you can do, please do that. And I think the organization is very 
very helpful because although knife crimes and violent crimes are a very touchy subject to talk about in school, I feel like no matter how much we try, crime is never going to go away. Crime is always going to be there. There's always going to be bad things happening in the world and we shouldn't be influencing these bad things but instead educating people about these bad things. By them doing this and educating young people about violent knife crimes and even things like self-defense or just to be aware that these situations do happen in the world instead of just pretending like they don't exist. I feel like that could be very, very educational to young people because pretending like it doesn't exist doesn't help anything at all. So I feel like what they're doing is very, very progressive. And again, all of it will be linked down below. As far as the family now, um, Carly and Allison are currently running that organization. But as for Lee, the brother, he unfortunately passed away on May 18th of 2017 during a routine foot operation. Back in 2015, Lee had fallen off of a roof. And because of that, one leg became shorter than the other. So he went through a foot operation to get his height back. He was only supposed to be in the hospital for five days for this surgery, but that later turned into seven weeks. And after these seven weeks, he was put into an induced coma. And after he was put into this coma, he unfortunately passed away. So as far as Jordan Jobson, as I said earlier, she was supposed to be released in 2019. So she was supposed to be released in 2019, but she never was. But back in 2020, she was actually granted parole. So now, Jordan Jobson, she is just walking the streets freely at 30 years old, even though, as I said, her inmates said that she showed no remorse for what she did. She was extremely cocky. She was always threatening other inmates. If she acted like that in prison, threatening people and fighting people, what makes you think she's not going to do that on the streets? But nonetheless, she was granted parole back in 2020, and she is now walking the streets at 30 years old. I really, really hope that they are coping in their own ways and are finding peace within all of this. Even if you can find peace in all of this, yes, that was today's story, the story of Samantha Magin. If you guys found this story interesting, make sure to give it a thumbs up and subscribe if you're watching on YouTube. And if you are listening to this on Apple or Spotify, make sure to rate the podcast five stars because that really helps me out a lot. If you want to follow me on any of my socials, like my Instagram, that will be linked down below, as well as my PO box if you want to send me anything. Sorry if you could hear, I just realized like towards the end, I noticed my window was open because it's really nice outside, but I forgot that there's birds chirping outside so if you heard birds chirping throughout this video I'm sorry I didn't even realize it till just now that's all I need to say I hope you guys enjoy the rest of your morning evening afternoon whenever you're listening to this um be safe out there get some fresh air today drink some water eat some good food and do something that makes you happy today. Mwah.